Welcome back, and thank you for listening to Xenozoic Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth, and this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Mark Schultz, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We're doing this podcast because we always enjoy reading and talking about the world of Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz. In this episode, we're discussing Xenozoic Tales, Issue 12, from April 1992. It features one story written and illustrated by Mark Schultz, and a second story written by Mark Schultz and illustrated by Steve Stiles. We've explained our title in the past, but we'll quickly review it for new listeners. Of course, Xenozoic is part of the title of the comic. Xeno is defined as something that is strange or foreign, while Zoic refers to a geological period of time, so Xenozoic basically means strange age. And a xenophile is someone who is interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures. That word describes us perfectly because we're definitely interested in foreign lands and cultures just like those found in Xenozoic Tales. Of course, many of you might be familiar with the series under the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which has occasionally been used for reprint collections as well as for video games and an animated TV series. The original comic series, created, written, and primarily illustrated by Mark Schultz, was published by Kitchen Sink Press under the title Xenozoic Tales for 14 issues from 1987 through 1996. And this is an exciting time to be revisiting the series because Mark Schultz is currently working on a new Xenozoic Tales graphic novel. Be sure to join the Facebook page Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories for the latest official news and information. Flesk Publications has announced that there will be a Kickstarter campaign for the new book when it's ready. More information will be released later, and we'll definitely let everyone know when it starts. If you don't have the earlier issues of the series, but want to pick them up, we recommend the collection titled Xenozoic, which contains all of the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It's a wonderful, oversized book printed on high-quality paper. It's available with two beautiful covers, and you can order directly from Flesk Publications, and we'll include a link in our show notes. While you're there, be sure to check out the other wonderful books they have available from a variety of talented creators. And they have other books by Mark Schultz as well, including Storms at Sea and a beautiful portfolio collection that we definitely recommend. If you would like some music to listen to while reading the series, then consider picking up Songs from the Xenozoic Age. It's an eclectic mix of fun songs by John Chris Christensen that are inspired by the series and the CD features album art by Mark Schultz. We enjoy sharing listener feedback and being part of the fun conversations with listeners on social media. Please feel free to write in anytime and let us know what you think about the series. We'd love to know what you like best about the art and stories and how you first discovered Xenozoic Tales. Later in the episode, we'll share your listener feedback and we'll provide our email address and other ways to contact us at the end of the show. Xenozoic Xenophiles is part of the Rad Adventures Network. If you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Trekker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. And Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. Mark Schultz, Ron Randall, and Mike Grell are our favorite comic creators. Their stories are filled with adventure and interesting characters, and their art is excellent. We'll include links to those other podcasts in our show notes, but for now, let's check out this month's issue. Xenozoic Tales, number 12, April 1992. Publisher, Dennis Kitchen. Editor, Dave Schreiner. Letters, Denise Prowl. Production, Christy Scholl and Kevin Lizon. Circulation, Polly Jansen. Art Director, Ray Fehrenbach. Cover Colors, Denise Prowl. 
It's the 26th century. The world has undergone a great geological cataclysm causing global catastrophes. Few people survived. Those that did found themselves living in isolated tribes in a very different world and a strange ecosystem. It's a new age known as the Xenozoic Era. The cover shows a dramatic image of Jack and Hannah and several others reacting in surprise as a large cell-back lizard-like Demetrodon overturns a brazier full of burning hot coals. Jack and Hannah have their weapons at the ready. The action-packed cover is directly related to the story inside, so let's get started. Two Cities, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. Jack is driving his Cadillac across an open plain as gentle hornbill dinosaurs race alongside. Jack has a huge smile on his face as he enjoys the bright sun, the clear sky, and the wind on his face. But then, things start to go wrong. The hornbill dinosaurs scatter and run away in multiple directions. Jack turns and sees a large dinosaur racing toward him. At first, it's in the shadows, but as it gets closer, he sees the large, sharp teeth of a predator. And then he sees that it has the face of Wilhelmina Scharnhorst. Jack wakes from the nightmare and we see that he and Hannah are still aboard the ship where we left them last time. Hannah is still running a fever from the poisonous bite she suffered during their escape from the island, and Jack has gone days with little to no sleep as he pilots the ship toward Wasoon. The lack of sleep has left Jack weak and confused. Hannah looks out to sea at what appears to her fevered mind to be a giant octopus quickly coming toward them through the distant fog, but Jack sees that it is a large ship with the image of an octopus on its sails. The large ship pulls alongside and Jack and Hannah are taken on board and their smaller vessel is towed behind as they navigate through the marshes toward Wasoon. Lord Drumheller and Corthys Rouge meet them at the dock and though still suffering from a high fever, Hannah hands them her written report from the City in the Sea and asks them to trust Jack Tenrick. Hannah is then carried off on a stretcher to the healers. Lord Drumheller has Jack Tenrick taken into custody. He'll be well taken care of, but he will not be permitted to roam the city on his own until Hannah Dundee has recovered. In his comfortable room, Jack finds that he still cannot sleep, and he becomes more agitated and confused in the days ahead. Suddenly, one evening an elderly woman with a walking stick appears in the shadows in his room. Her name is Aduwa Steptoe, and she is also an old blood mechanic, and says she was sent by those who live in the deep, deep down, and Jack knows she means the Grith. She tells Jack he has failed as a shaman, and that his narrow interpretation of the Machinato Vitae and his use of fear and coercion has led to the revolt and problems in the city and the sea. However, the Grith have sent her with a message. Jack is not to trust the leaders of Wasoon. They will attempt to manipulate him for political gain. He must also be wary of Hannah Dundee, because she has been raised as one of them since childhood. However, the Grith knows something that even Hannah herself does not know. She was not born in Wasoon. She was found as an infant, alone in the marshes. No one knows her true origin. And as the old woman disappears back into the shadows, she tells Jack to remember Fessenden, because his destiny lies with him. Two days later, Hannah has finally recovered and is questioned by Lord Drumheller and Corthys. Though they applaud her efforts, they are displeased with her methods and her results during her stay in the City in the Sea. She was unable to access the library vaults, and they feel that she allied herself too closely with Jack Tenrick. She explains that the City in the Sea was already in the midst of a power struggle when she arrived, 
and she was forced to gamble and felt Jack Tenrick was the best bet. She still thinks he can retake the city. That may be, but things are now more complicated. Sharnhorst knows Jack Tenrick is in Wasoon, and she wants him back, and they can't afford to go to war to protect him. At the same time, they don't want to return him to certain death, so they've devised a plan, but they don't think Jack can be trusted with the plan. In fact, Hannah learns that since arriving in Wasoon, that Jack has been drugged to continue to keep him from sleeping so that he will be confused and more easily manipulated for the plan ahead. As the plan is explained to Hannah, we see the events unfold in real time. The leaders of Wasoon agree to return Tenric. When the delegation from the City and the Sea arrives, they are greeted with traditional ceremonial baths, and during that time the ammunition in their guns is replaced with blanks. Jack's weapon is also filled with blanks, and Hannah is sent to meet him for the first time since they arrived. Hannah walks Jack to the Grand Hall of Ancestors, just as the delegation from the City and the Sea also arrives in the hall from another direction. When the two groups see each other, weapons are quickly drawn and shots ring out from multiple directions. But since the guns are filled with blanks, no one is killed. At that same moment, two ceremonial Dimetrodon sellback slithers seemingly break free from their chains. In the commotion, large braziers of burning coals are overturned and smoke and steam fills the room. As the slithers are reined back in on their chains, the delegation from the city in the sea is safe, but on the ground in front of them lies the body of a man dressed like Jack Tenrick, whose head appears to have been ripped from his body by a slither. The delegation from the city in the sea is left thinking that Jack Tenrick has died in the altercation, but in the shadows, we see that Hannah and a group of guards have Jack safely tied up as they watch the scene from a safe distance. I really like the way this story starts with Jack seeming to enjoy a relaxing drive, only to be chased by a T-Rex that looks like Sharnhorst. It's both frightening and funny at the same time. Our two heroes are definitely down and out in this issue. Jack is suffering from no sleep and apparent hallucinations that may or may not include another old blood mechanic being sent by the Grith, who tells him that he's a horrible shaman who has caused problems in the city and the sea. Meanwhile, Hannah is recovering from a poisonous bite from the previous issue that leaves her sick for days. And once she finally recovers, she's told she allied herself with the wrong person and made things more difficult for Wasoon. Of course, we don't like to see our heroes being criticized, but the points made are all valid from some perspectives, and it certainly makes for great storytelling to have our heroes on the defensive. I like the way the plan unfolds in real time so that the complex plan can be explained as we see it in action. This prevents any confusion from the reader. However, I must wonder where they came up with the dead body. I hope some poor soul who happened to closely resemble Jack just happened to die of natural causes at the right time. I also like the reference to Fessenden from early in the series. It's wonderful to see how everything is intertwined and interconnected. As always, the art is fantastic and really moves the story forward. Mark Schultz creates wonderful scenes, whether they are grand in scope or smaller and more intimate, and the character portrayals in the issue are terrific and really help to convey the dire situation of our heroes. Some favorite art includes pages 4 and 5 when Jack and Hannah are still on the ocean in their small and heavily damaged boat. The scenes of the boat and the water are outstanding, and Mark Schultz does a terrific job of illustrating that our characters are not well. I also love the images of the giant octopus and the fog in the distance that becomes the sails of a ship. The ship arriving in Wasoon at the bottom of page 6 is another favorite. In fact, we used this image in the panel presentation that we did about our podcast last year. The sequence with the old woman is also great. It's moody and creates a sense of mystery to go along with her message. 
I found it interesting that Aduwa is both the name of a town in Ethiopia and the name of a fruit in Africa and the Middle East. The smile on Hannah's face when she goes to meet Jack on page 16 makes her look so friendly, and he is so excited to see her, but we know that she is keeping secrets from him. The commotion in the Hall of Ancestors on pages 18 to 20 is exciting, and the layouts are great. It was a complicated plan, but it appears to have succeeded for now. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're but palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain until it has been drained of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.Libsyn. Com. A Woman's Work, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by Steve Stiles. Governor Sharnhorse is walking through the city in the sea, surrounded by several members of her armed militia. Trailing alongside is Governor Dahlgren. Sharnhorse is receiving updates on the status of projects going on throughout the area. Copper mining is increasing. Slithers are being cleared from the coal fields. Six more old blood mechanics have been apprehended and imprisoned. Curse Foster believes he's sitting on some large oil reserves but needs more manpower at the oil fields. Suddenly a Zeke, or Pteranodon, swoops down, startling Sharnhorst. She curses Hannah Dundee for luring them into the city. She then turns to Governor Dahlgren and tells her that she doesn't trust her, but if it's true, as she claims, that she supports the Council's current plans, then she can begin by organizing a program to eradicate the Zekes from the city. Sharnhorse then gives Dahlgren a sealed envelope to deliver to Governor Nock and sends her away. Of course, Dahlgren knows it's a test to see if she will open the envelope, so she knows she can't open it, but she can guess what's inside and decides it's her opportunity to make a difference. Arriving at Governor Nock's office, Dahlgren hands him the sealed envelope, and as he reads the contents, she begins to talk to him about the contents as though Sharnhorse confided in her while writing the orders. Fortunately, Dahlgren guessed correctly that the sealed orders were to request a prison gang to be sent to help in the oil fields. 
While initially surprised that Sharnhorst would share this information with Dahlgren, it makes Nock think that Sharnhorst must now trust Dahlgren. As their conversation continues about how overworked Nock is, Dahlgren nonchalantly suggests she carries out the orders for him, and he welcomes the offer. Dahlgren rushes to the prison with the message and orders the guards to give her ten men from the Potain cell block. Standing at the top of the stairs, she points out ten men and tells them to follow her out to the docks to catch the noon boat to the oil fields on the coast. At the docks, she addresses the men. She has chosen them because two of them are old blood mechanics and the others are members of Mustafa Cairo's resistance, all who have been imprisoned by Scharnhorst. They're being sent to the oil fields, where they need to disrupt the operations as much as possible without being too obvious or risking exposure. She asks one of the men named Bartok to coordinate the activities. But before they can board the ship, they see Scharnhorst and her militia walking toward the docks. If she sees which prisoners have been selected, it will spoil the plan. Dahlgren walks to meet Scharnhorst while quickly thinking of a plan. She pulls out her pistol and aims it into the sky, firing a single shot. Azik falls to the ground and lands dead at Sharnhorst's feet, distracting her and her men from the departing boat. Dahlgren says, a gift for you to prove that I will carry out your policies. Sharnhorst looks at Dahlgren in surprise and says, maybe I was wrong about you, and then walks away. Dahlgren is left alone to solemnly look at the dead Zeke and think that it's yet another compromise, another sacrifice. This is a terrific little story and really shows the value of these backup stories. This gives us the opportunity to see how things are going in the city and the sea, and how Governor Dahlgren is working behind the scenes. She definitely takes a series of calculated risks, but the payoff is big in the end as she is able to free 10 resistance fighters. I love the way she is able to manipulate both Sharnhorst and Nock during the story. You can tell it is difficult for her to sacrifice the Zeke at the end, but she really has no other choice. And again, this is another great example of the intricacy of the story with Sharnhorst's frustrations at the Zeeks that were brought into the city by Hannah Dundee early in the series. Steve Stiles' art is great throughout. I really like the architecture in the opening panel, which looks very three-dimensional. I also love the way Dahlgren is portrayed throughout the story. She is featured in almost every single panel of the story. She is prominent and commanding, with calculating looks on her face when she is away from Sharnhorst, but she is withdrawn and demure when Sharnhorst is around. This is an excellent visual representation of the way she is able to manipulate Sharnhorst during the story. The Gen 13 Files, a monthly podcast hosted by Randy Andrews. Each month, I'll take you on a journey of reviewing Gen 13 the comic from 1994 clear through 2003. What is Gen 13? Glad you asked. It's a comic that started out produced by Image Comics and has morphed from Wildstorm clear to DC. Who is Gen 13? We have Caitlin Fairchild, ah! Roxy Freefall, wow. Grunge Chang, ah! Sarah Rainmaker, and Bobby Lane. These superhero teens encounter aliens, <laughs> evil corporations, <laughs> vicious robots, <laughs> and strange travels. 
They've also encountered characters from Marvel and DC. This is a fan podcast, and I'd love to talk about J. Scott Campbell and Jim Lee. I'll include comments, art references, and talking about my favorite characters from Gen 13, specifically Caitlin Fairchild. I hope you enjoy the ride and keep powered. Let's review who's who and what's what in Xenozoic Tales. This is the 26th century, long after a series of geological cataclysms. What is known as the City in the Sea in these stories is the island of Manhattan that is now partially submerged in the ocean. The city of Wasoon is what we know as Washington, D.C. Jack Tenrick is an old blood mechanic, one of the few people who have learned how to repair the many machines left over from the distant past. He's also a bit of a shaman. Hannah Dundee is a scientist and ambassador from Wasoon who has come to the City in the Sea in the hopes of building cooperation between the two cities. Mustafa Cairo is an engineer and one of Jack's best friends. His services are obviously needed everywhere as we've seen him fixing machinery at distant mines as well as in the city, but he is currently leading a band of resistance fighters against Scharnhorst. Wilhelmina Scharnhorst was once the leader of the Moles, a group of people who prefer to live and work underground where they search the ancient ruins under the city and the sea. She despises the old blood mechanics, and she and Jack have little respect for each other. She has used her influence to be elected as one of the city's governors. The Grith are mysterious humanoid reptiles and are allies of both Jack and Hannah, who are two of the very few people who have ever seen the Grith. The Grith communicate telepathically with each other and talk to Jack and Hannah using the letter tiles from an old Scrabble board game. The Governing Council rules the city and the sea and consists of several members, including Governors Nock, Toulouse, Dahlgren, and now Scharnhorst. Some members respect Jack, while other members resent that he is more popular with the people than they are. Next up is listener feedback when we share the emails and messages we've received since last time. Thanks to everyone for the comments. Your support and encouragement is great, and we sincerely appreciate everyone who took the time to get in touch to share your thoughts. Colby Webb of the Big Cheese Comics let us know he was excited to hear the new episode. Oliver Babbles made us laugh when he posted, Downloaded the new episode for a flight later today. Forgot my headphones, so I guess I'm going to be introducing this podcast to some seatmates. Thanks for that advertising, Oliver. Jerry Green of Bat Books for Beginners wrote, Terrific episode. Love the discussion of the story and also hearing about the great Linda Carter and all the fun in Baltimore. John Baker, writer for Three If By Space, said, As always, I learned some interesting things about the work of Mark Schultz during your podcast. I also enjoyed the outtake at the end. Ruth, gotta work on that roar a little bit. Now that was very sneaky of Darren to put that outtake at the end of the previous episode. But John, I want you to know, I've been practicing. We got a great shout-out from Randy Andrews of Soundtrack Alley and the Gen 13 Files on social media, and he let us know how much he enjoys the show. Thanks, Randy. Bruno Guglielmi sent us a note from France saying, I'm a big fan of Jack Cadillac. I had a hard time getting all the issues of the series, and added, it's a shame Baltimore is too far for me. Then when we mentioned that Mark Schultz was at a comic convention in France a few years ago, Bruno promptly decided to rent a DeLorean for Marty McFly and travel back in time to see him there. Great plan, Bruno. Mountain Laurel spotted our new episode promo on Twitter and commented, That video trailer looks outstanding. Makes me want to drop what I'm doing and check out this episode immediately. Thanks, Laurel. Alfred James posted an homage to Mark Schultz and Xenozoic Tales with a great Inktober post of Hannah Dundee and Jack Tenrick, and it has some fierce-looking T-Rexes that are making a snack out of a Cadillac. You'll find a link to that Twitter post in our show notes. 
We want to thank our friends at Wednesday Comics for alerting us to photos on Twitter by Katrina Dennis. She's in cosplay as a dino-riding warrior princess. We'll put a link to the photo in our show notes. And thanks to Tim Price for tagging us on a sketch of Hannah Dundee by George Perez. It is terrific. We'll include a link for that as well. Mark Sweeney of the ITG blog and podcast and Comics Couplets let us know his wife gave him an amazing present for Christmas, which is an autographed photo of Barbara Stanwyck. Mark Schultz has mentioned in the past that Barbara Stanwyck was an inspiration for Hannah Dundee. And Mark Sweeney said he can totally see Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper battling dinosaurs by the city in the sea. During the Christmas and New Year's holidays, we attended a local Chinese lantern festival, and Green Lantern HG exclaimed, Jack and Hannah in Wasoon, when he saw photos of us with a large group of Chinese lantern dinosaurs. We love that light festival and have gone the last three years. Each year they have new displays, but thankfully the one constant is my favorite, which is a large dragon floating on a lake. But this year was extra special when we saw that collection of bright dinosaurs in the night. We certainly thought of the world as Xenozoic Tales, and you can see the photos on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. We enjoyed a terrific exchange with Stephen E. D'Souza on Twitter. He produced the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs video game, which was an Annie winner in 1995 for Best Animated Interactive Production. He was also the executive producer of the animated Cadillacs and Dinosaurs TV series. It was great to see what enthusiasm he still has for both the game and the show. And he graciously offered to join us for an interview on a future episode when we get to our coverage of the TV series. Thank you very much, Stephen. We also enjoyed seeing photos of Mark Schultz out west on a grand tour of some amazing parks, where he said he found inspiration and lots of source material for his new Xenozoic book. Check out the Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories Facebook page to see those terrific photos. And in closing, we'll mention that our multi-talented friend Luke Dobb of Dobb Creative did an awesome digital art commission for us of Hannah and Jack and his Cadillac from Xenozoic Tales. The composition and the characters look terrific. Luke's distinctive graphic style is always filled with fun adventure, and we encourage everyone to check out his site at DobbCreative.com. Thank you so much, Luke. And we sent a scan of the commission to Mark Schultz, who wrote back and commented about how much he liked the colors and that he thought Luke's style would look great in animation. Thank you, Mark, for sharing your encouraging thoughts. I know Luke was thrilled to hear what you said. And you can find this image on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram sites. Next, we want to extend our thanks to everyone who supported the show on social media since last episode. These are people who commented or shared posts from us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and we sincerely appreciate all the support. Before we start, let me say if we miss a name, just let us know and we'll correct it next time. And please forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just write and let us know and we'll be sure to correct that next time. 20th Century Geek Podcast with Scott Weatherly, Alan Wright from BoldOutlaw.com, Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary Blog, Ashford of the Write On Network featuring Feathers and Foes and Straight Out of Gallifrey, Brian Mulvey, Buzz Comics, Carlos Aviado, Chris Carnes of Bat Books for Beginners, Chris Mounts, Chris Sheehan of the Comics Treadmill Podcast and the blog Chris is on Infinite Earths. Christian of the Amazing Nerd Show. Clinton Robison of the Coffee and Comics blog and podcast. Colby Webb of the Big Cheese Comics. Comics in the Golden Age with Mike and Chris. Daniel Blake. Derek William Crabb of the Fan Holes Podcast and History of Comics on Film. Diablo Frank of the Diana Prince Wonder Woman Podcast and Spinometer. Dr. G. Man of Nerdology of the Pulp to Pixel Podcast. Ed and Terry Moore of Till Productions. Eric Mannix of Out of the Fridge and Pages for All Ages. Jerry Green of Bat Books for Beginners. 
Grant Richter of Avatar of the Green and the new Crack-A-Zoom podcast with the Long Box of Darkness. Green Lantern HG, the irredeemable shag of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Jared Albert, the yard sale artist from Comics with Normies. Jay Jones of the Silver and Gold Podcast. Jeff Messer of Geek Brain Podcast and Blog. Jerry McMullen from the Worst Comic Podcast Ever and Essentials Showcase. Joe Crawford of the blog for the Non-Discerning Reader. John Baker, who does sci-fi TV reviews at 3 If by Space. John Holloway of the Worst Comic Podcast Ever. Justice's First Dawn with Mike Peacock. Karen Williams of the Sweet Between the Pages blog. Keith G. Baker. Artist Ken Solo. Larry Looper Jr., a.k.a. Vic Sage and writer for The Retroist. Laurel Phillips, a.k.a. Mountain Flower. Let's Talk Masters of the Universe. Longbox Crusade Podcast with Pat and Jared. Mark Adams of the Mark's Mess Podcast. Mark Sweeney from the ITG Blog and Podcast and Comics Couplets. Martin Gray of the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl. Michael Allen Carlisle of the blog Crapbox Son of Cthulhu. Nancy Najidli. Pat Sampson of the Longbox Crusade. Paul Hicks of the Waiting for Doom Podcast. Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Randy Andrews of Soundtrack Alley and the new Gen 13 Podcast. Reggie Hancock of the Cosmic Treadmill Podcast. Rolled Spine Podcast. Rory Cleary of the Silver and Gold Podcast. Wednesday Comics. Wendy Freeman of the podcast Double Page Spread, and Xavier Covello. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. If you want to contact us directly or have something you would like to have read on the show, then please send an email to xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles. And you can also visit XenozoicXenophiles.com for links to all of our social media pages. You can listen to our show through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And all of our episodes are always available at both XenozoicXenophiles.com and RadAdventuresNetwork.com. You can also find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. On the Rad Adventures YouTube channel, you'll find all of the episodes of all of our podcasts, including Xenozoic Xenophiles, as well as Trekker Talk about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, and Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Every review helps the podcast be more likely to show up in search results. And on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Xenozoic Xenophiles is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, please visit comicspodcasts.com. We are not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album, Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs and Loops, Volume 2. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. Music